before we get into this, why don't you just stretch across to the person next to you, and we're just going to pray. Yeah, if you can't reach, it's fine. <laughs> so we just thank you, Jesus, again, that you are brilliant, that you are King of Kings, that you are Lord of Lords, that your name is beautiful, it is powerful, it is wonderful. And just this morning, we just pray for the people on either side of us and all around us, everyone in this room. We just thank you, Holy Spirit, that you just open us wide, wide up to what you want to do today. That actually, as cliche as it is, we want to walk out of this room different. We want to become more and more like you and more and more like Jesus, more and more uh, walking out your glory, not just as a theory, but in reality that as, as uh, Pastor Richard said last week, that we don't, we don't need the Spirit, we don't need God just to come in for, a, for this meeting, but it's all throughout the week. We need you, Holy Spirit. So I just pray, Father, that won't you just come and do what you want to do today, that we thank you that often we welcome you into our meeting, but actually this is your meeting, this is your church, and you welcome us openly into this place so we just thank you thank you you're a genius and you've got awesome things in store for us today amen Amen. so if you got a bible i hope you do you turn to proverbs 19 we're going to look at verse 12 so last week uh pastor richard he spoke to us about living free from debt and how debt not only has a natural ramification ramifications for our lives but it also it has a it has a spiritual impact as well and he did wonderful job of like marrying both the practical and the and the spiritual together which is quite good and uh, he talked about how the purpose of debt is to put you actually into a form of slavery and whoever it is that you owe that money to or whoever it is that you owe whatever to that you're indebted to you actually submit yourself under its government you you are bound by its rules in many ways and um so this debt it holds you captive it locks you down its purpose is not to set you free but to keep you in this place of captivity and uh this morning i'm not really going to work so much on what he said but just from a different angle i've got some good news for you uh some really good news some good news about debt do you want to you want to hear good some good news about debt well here it is best thing ever is that you've been released you've been set free from the biggest debt of your life that is good news amen so there was a time when you were so deep in debt that you couldn't make any of the repayments. You were so deep in the debt, it was actually going to cost you your life. And so, again, here's the most brilliant news ever. God didn't just come and cancel your debt. He didn't just turn a blind eye and forget that you owed him something. Right? He didn't cancel it. He actually sent Jesus to come and pay for your debt. He made the payment justly, rightly, legally. He made payment for everything that you owed God. And he paid with his life. And some Christians have this mentality that Jesus came and he died to forgive our sins, but now we somehow owe God. That we need to now try and pay God back for for our life. 
pay God back for all the things that we do wrong. Even now, as, as, a, as we do things wrong now, ongoingly into the future, we have this sense that, oh no, I've done something wrong, I need to now repay God for what I've done or pay him for the sins that I've done. But that's not, that's not what happened at all. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not the gospel. That is not the good news. Because you already owed God everything before he ever came. You were in debt to him before. That's why Jesus came, to pay that debt. To pay it off completely and fully so that you don't owe God anything. How good is it? It's a different mindset to think that you actually owe God nothing. You don't owe God a single thing. You are free, completely free, and God knows that because what he wants from you is for you to grow into the full potential, into, your, into a place of freedom. And you're not going to be able to reach that full potential if you've got restrictions on you, if you've got some sense of debt that's overhanging you where you are just bound. Like I just think of that, um, say like a, oh, what are the, it's like a pot, you put a plant in it and it's restricted by the pot. But then you want to grow bigger, you have to get a bigger pot, bigger pot. God's not really like that. He's like, boom, you can have the earth grow as big as you want. Because if there's any sort of... He doesn't want to restrict you in any way at all. He wants you to reach that maximum potential. So you owe God nothing. Everything we give to God now is out of our love for him. So now we don't do it because we have to. It's because we get to it. It's because we want to be able to give him love. And so for the, for the remainder of this morning, I just want to share with you something I believe that we need to hear over and over and over and over again because we so often forget it and it creeps in very easily. And it's uh, this thing, it's kind of connected. It's like on the tree of debt, there's some horrible sour fruit that uh, when you eat of it, it kind of sucks the absolute life out of you. And I'm talking about this fruit of guilt, the fruit of shame, the fruit of condemnation. And it comes with this sense of when you think that you owe God, when you're convinced you need to pay him for your sins, pay him for all the things you've done wrong, pay him for the things that you haven't done that you think you should have done, uh, you have this sense of debt that just hangs over you where you need to repay God. And it leaves you in this place of fear, it leaves you in a place of guilt, it leaves you in a place of condemnation. But again, the truth is there is no more condemnation for us who are in Christ. We are free, the debt has been completely paid. Amen? It's good news. So let's look here, Proverbs 19, if you found that. Look at verse 12. This is a funny little verse here. It says, a king's wrath, 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 how do you, how, how would you like to say that word? Is like the roar of a lion, but his favour is like dew on the grass. A king's wrath is like the roar of a lion, but his favour is like dew on the grass. God is the king of kings, he is the lord of lords, and do you know what? His wrath is like the roar of the lion of lions. It is scary. I'm, I'm sure most of you would have heard like the, the sound of a lion's roar. Even in a zoo or even when you see it behind a cage and it roars, it's like 
shaky, like you feel a little bit nervous, even though you know it can't get to you at all. It can be like, oh, it's meant to, that's the way that God designed it. But imagine you're standing there in front of a wild, hungry lion, say it's only like 20 metres away from you, and you're there and there's no bars, there's no cage, there's nothing there except for you, and you just see that, that lion there and it just roars really loud, staring, fixed straight on you. How do you think you'll feel? You would be terrified, wouldn't you? It would be scary. So I remember we were in um, South Africa I don't know, a few years ago now, but we, were, we went to this, uh, I, I think it was just a game park. It wasn't a line park. But we were there and we were on an open vehicle on this truck and we went into this place where the lions were. We drive along and there was this uh, main big male lion that's, that's just sitting there. We drove probably about 20 metres or so we're away from it. And uh, it's just sitting there, it's lazy, it's just doing what lions do normally when it's nice and hot. But even then, when it's just lying there, I have to be honest, I was still a little bit nervous. Because we're not behind anything, we're just there and we're on an open vehicle. And it was, even though it was doing nothing, it was still a little bit like, ugh, I had nervous energy flowing through me. Especially at one, there was one moment where I was a little bit scared. Because it, all of a sudden, we were there for probably a minute or so, but just for a second or two, it just locked onto us. And its body language just changed, where it just sat up a little bit more and just was a bit more attentive straight to us. And just that one little motion, he didn't roar or nothing. It's just that sitting up and then looking at us and we just like feel like we're open and exposed. It's nervous. Like I was a little bit panicky. And... Uh, and it was an awesome moment. I tried to find the photo, but I couldn't, I couldn't find it in time where we were just there. And yeah, so it was pretty, that was quite an amazing experience. But a king's wrath is like the roar of a lion. So remember, imagine having this, this lion, the terror of standing in front of a lion about to devour you. It can be overwhelming. And the Bible says to stand before a king, to stand before a God guilty of his wrath is equally, if not more, terrifying as being in that place. And imagine then living every day as if a lion was hunting you. Walking around every day thinking, knowing that there's a lion stalking you, hunting you. No matter what you do, you've got this thing just watching you, ready to pounce, ready to ambush you at any moment. Whenever you, you don't even know that it's going to come and just... It would be scary kind of life to live. I remember, uh, have you ever seen the movie Life of Pi? Some of you might. Whereas this, there's this guy, um, there's a shipwreck and he ends up, I think on the, on the ship there's, there's a, I think there's a circus, so there's a bunch of different animals that's there that also go down and he's, he's left on this lifeboat and essentially there's, uh, underneath the cover of the lifeboat, a Bengal tiger comes out and he has to survive now floating on this boat with him and this tiger that's ready to just rip him apart at any second. I mean, it's the scary kind of thing. Just you're in this constrained little place and you have to try and survive with this thing that just wants to eat you. It's terrifying. And the sad thing is, is as many people, many Christians live like this every day. 
Every day, they're constantly under the spell of the devil, convinced that God is angry with them, convinced that God is out to get them, convinced that God is condemning them, convinced that God is going to pour out his wrath on them every time that they just slip up and make a little mistake. That he will bless them and be good when they're good, but then as soon as you do something bad, he's ready with a stick to whack you. Whack you with sickness, whack you with some sort of financial difficulty, whack you with some relationship issue. But that's not how God works. That is not how God works at all. And on top of that, there's like the daunting day of judgment that's approaching, that one day when we go to stand before the throne of God, we're going to have all our friends and family there and the big massive TV screen's going to come up and then we have to all stand there and watch all the things that we did wrong in our life. And people live with that torment every single day. Scared that they're just going to be exposed. Scared that they're going to be embarrassed. That there's going to be so much guilt, so much shame. It's terrifying. It's like the roar of a lion just constantly in their face. So we're going to look at a couple of scriptures here just to remind us again. I know we've heard these things, but I think it's good to get it reinforced. So if you go to Isaiah 54... Sometimes we forget that the throne of God is not the throne of judgment, but it's a throne of grace. It talks about in in Revelation how the throne is actually encircled with an emerald rainbow. What does a rainbow represent? Do you remember with Noah? Yep. That's right. No judgment. I will never judge the world like that ever again. And so with talking about Noah, let's have a look at this. We're going to look at verse 9. It says, To me this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will never be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. God cannot lie. His word is just so sound. It is so uh, stable. It's something that can be relied on. He created everything by his word, right? And so then he makes this vow to, to Noah and to the whole world that I'll never judge you ever again. And we believe that, right? We fully believe that Noah, that he will never judge the world like that again, that God said it. Well, just as he said that, just as he made that oath, he makes the same statement. He goes, just as I made that vow, I'm also sworn an oath to never be angry with you again. It is an oath that should be just as powerful, something that we should rely on and be, uh, have our faith in just as much as we believe that he said that he will never flood the whole earth ever again. It's a powerful thing. He will never rebuke you ever, ever again. And God, as I said, God cannot lie. He will never, ever be angry with you. And I just want to go to Romans 8, one that we also know quite well. Let's go to verse 1. It says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ... 
Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. That's awesome. That Jesus didn't just fully meet the law in himself, he met the full requirements of the law in you. How awesome is that? It means that you, without obeying the law fully, have actually indeed, through Jesus, obeyed the law completely, as if you've never ever sinned. That is wild. So now God treats you completely like he will never be angry with you, never rebuke you, never ever uh, hold you to your sins ever again because you have fully met the law. You have fully fulfilled it through Jesus. And he treats you as if you've never sinned in your life. That is wild. That is amazing. That's why you get to go to heaven. That's why you can be united with him forever. It's why you have eternal life. That's why he's anointed you. That's why he's empowered you. That's why he's made you an ambassador of the King of Kings, ambassador of heaven, because you are treated like you've never sinned in your life. That is wild. And Christians are walking around going, oh no, God, I'm so sorry, I'm horrible. Look at all the bad things I've done. And God's like, I don't see that. I see you as perfect. I see you as righteous. I see you as holy. I see you as my son. You are not a slave anymore. You are my son. That is good news. That's very good news. It's better news than you know it is. It's better news than what I know it is. So, here's another thing. You can't be condemned and justified at the same time. It's impossible. You are either condemned or you're justified. You're one or the other. Either you're free from the wrath of God or you're not. So, that's good news to me. That is very good news. So, the law was powerless to set us free from condemnation. Powerless. It was never designed to make you behave better. Even today, the Ten Commandments have no power at all to make you more holy. No power to make you righteous before God, because only Jesus can do that. The law was given with one purpose, one intention, and that was to make sure that you know that you're a sinner. To show you how uh, desperately in need you were of being saved. That is the purpose of the law. That's why it was given. It wasn't given to make you holy. It wasn't given so that you would become a better person. It wasn't given so that you can stop sinning. It was never given for that. It was given to point you to Jesus. And Paul knew this. He knew this very well as you read even when he talks about it in, in chapter 7, just before Romans 8. And he says like how... What a wretched man that he is because he had no hope in being able to climb out of his sin through obeying the law. He knew he was a sinner. He knew he was so wretched. He was horrible. And that he had this, this sin that was living inside of him that would just constantly bring him in this place of just not measuring up. 
And that's when he comes and says, thanks be to God. Thanks be to Jesus who died and set me free. Because I couldn't do it on my own. I needed Jesus to come and die on my behalf. So we look at one more scripture we know very well. That's Hebrews 10. We're going to read from verse 11. It says, day after day. Sorry, I was going to put slides up, but I just didn't. I, yeah, I have no excuse. I just didn't do it. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Think of it today. We do something wrong, and what is our first kind of thought? I need to repay God. I need to pray more. I need to read my Bible more. I need to be a better person in order to get rid of the sin and the things that are in my life. Day after day, every priest, we are priests of God. Day after day, we try and repay for the things that we've done because of this consciousness of sin. But when this priest, talking about Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. That's us. The Holy Spirit also testifies about this. The Holy Spirit reminds us about what Jesus has done. He's not convicting us of our sins. He's telling us that we are free, that we have been made holy by Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. He is testifying about this. Remember, when the Holy Spirit comes along, he's not going to try and point out all your sins. He's going to tell you, you're free. I think it's the number one way to know how the Holy Spirit is talking to you. It's because he's not going to point out all your sins. He's going to go, no, Jesus died for you. Jesus is perfect. His his job is to point to Jesus, not to you. And then it goes on, it says, First he says, This is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put their laws on their hearts and I will make them, I will write them, sorry, on their minds. And then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. That is awesome again. You don't have to make sacrifice for your sins because Jesus did it for you. So God has so thoroughly, so justly dealt with your condemnation that he says your sins, your lawless acts, I will remember no more and uh, there is no more wrath for you. And since that, he has totally forgiven you of all your sin, paid it fully with, with the sacrifice of Jesus, He says, stop trying to make your own self-righteous sacrifices for your sins. He says they're no longer necessary. He's already made the once-for-all ultimate sacrifice that justifies you, that makes you righteous, that makes you holy forever and ever and ever. And sure, sometimes now we might mess up and we repent by turning away and we can feel sorry for it, 
But to come under guilt, come under condemnation, come into that place of shame where we feel like we have to pay as if we owe God this debt is to come under the spell of the devil. It is come under the, the governing force of the devil because he is working to try and put you back under law where you will know you have no hope. There is no power to make you more holy. And he is working to get you back into that place of performance so that you can try and work and just go, oh yeah, I can do this, I can do that. Because the way the devil will come along and he'll say, look at you, you're horrible. Look at all the sins you've done. Look at this, like, look how messed up you are. But then he'll say, but you can be better. If you do this, if you fix this up in your life, if you stop doing that, then you might be more holy, then you'll be more pleasing to God. And we can buy into that, thinking it's the Holy Spirit convicting us. But he doesn't remember your sins anymore, so he's not going to point that stuff out. That's not how he works. It is the devil casting his spell on you, putting you under, in, under his uh, just control in that sense of condemnation so that you can get back into the law, so that you can work yourself up to try and better yourself before God through your own self-righteousness, but your self-righteousness is rubbish. It is dung. All it does is put you into a place of death. God wants you free from all that. He wants you to look at Jesus and go, look how awesome Jesus is. He is the one who did it all. He is brilliant. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And he has totally paid my debt. And I am free. Amen. So I'm going to look at one more scripture and then talk about another story and then we can finish up. So 1 Peter verse chapter 5, you can turn there and that will be the last one we'll look at. Verse 8, it says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Be alert and of sober mind. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for he's going to devour. The devil is seeking those that his roar will impact. He's on the hunt. He's praying on the weak. This father of lies, he masquerades himself as an angel of light, a wolf in sheep's clothing. He comes to deceive those but he comes almost in the same shape and form as what God does. We know that God talks about Jesus. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. There's many other scriptures that also describe God as being like a lion. And Peter here, he's saying, watch out for the copycat who prowls around looking for who he's going to devour. He's roaring of a sound of false wisdom. And he's roaring at you the wrath of God. He's saying, as I said before, look at your sins. Look at who you really are. Look what you've done. Look at how pathetic you are, how unworthy you are, hopeless, that you're a failure, that you're ugly, you're a fake, you're undeserving, you're a hypocrite. That God only, God does, uh, um, God only loves you because he has to love you. And then again, if you do this, you can change. You can be better. You can become worthy before God. But that is not the Holy Spirit. That is the spell of the devil. 
that is false truth, that is false lies. And Peter is warning us. He says, be alert. Watch yourselves. Keep your mind sharp. Don't fall for these tricks. Stand firm in the freedom that Jesus has paid for. All the wrath, all the judgment for your sin has been justly and rightly punished in full. And all that is left for you is divine favour from the King. So I'm just going to look at one more story here, which is an interesting little story, which I encourage you to go look at yourself. It's in Judges 14, and it's talking about Samson. And uh, there's a bigger kind of story that he's talking about between Israel and the Philistines, who were ruling over Israel at the time. But there's this little thing, little kind of story in, in in between it, where Samson, he sees this Philistine uh, girl that he wants to go and marry, and he goes back, to his, goes back to his parents' house, and he tells them about it, and they're not really happy about it because she's a Philistine. But he eventually they, gets them to agree to go with him to go and meet her. And so they're walking along, and they go down, I don't know how long it was, I didn't actually look it up or anything, but they're walking along trying to get to this, to this town again to go meet, meet this girl. And along the way, uh, Samson is ambushed by a lion. Do you know the story? And so I'm just going to pick it up here. It says in verse, Judges 14, verse 5, it says, Suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him. But the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands, just as if he might have torn a young goat. Imagine that. A lion comes running at you, and you just grab it and rip it apart. That would be pretty cool. Not for the lion, but I mean, it would be pretty amazing to watch that. So he rips it apart with his bare hands. And he continues on, he doesn't tell anyone about it, and... Uh, Later, sometime later, it talks about how he's going back to the town again to go, this time to marry that girl. And as he's going along, he sees the lion carcass that he ripped apart last time. I don't know how long it must have been, but he, he sees the lion carcass there. He goes over to it, and inside the lion, he saw a swarm of bees had come and made a hive in there, and that there was honey inside. And so he scoops some honey out, he eats some of it, he goes back to his parents and that, and he gives them some honey as well. Again, he doesn't tell anyone. And he gets to the wedding feast, and he comes up with this riddle for the Philistines. And you can go read the rest of the story and everything that happens. But the words that I just want to point out here, he says, Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong comes something sweet. Referring to the lion that he killed and, and... out of that devourer came something sweet. And here's the point that I want to make. The devil may come and ambush you. He might come like you at a roaring lion with condemnation, with accusation. And more than likely, it's going to be unexpected. You're going to be ambushed by it. You're going to be going to do something important. And he'll come along and just attack you with some sort of guilt and condemnation and shame. But the good news is, Jesus has completely ripped that line apart. He has pulled out all its teeth, he's turned it inside out, and it is now powerless against you. And not only that, inside that which tried to devour you, the condemnation that stood against you, now is a place 
of something that is so sweet. Inside is the honey, it is the grace, it is the favour of God that is on your life. And knowing that you are completely set free from this wrath empowers you to live strong, it empowers you to take on an entire Philistine army. It empowers you to live holy, it gives you a life that is free to not sin anymore, it gives you a life of incredible strength. And often we think about our guilt and condemnation. The tendency is to think about all the bad things that we've done. We think about, say, the sins or things that we've done. But actually, condemnation is much more crafty than that. And it comes in the form of guilt and regret because of the things that we haven't done. The things that we should have done. Things, times where we should have, we think we should have said something. We should have done, we should have moved, we should have acted. We should have, uh, stepped out and we never took we never took that step that regret we can have condemnation we can have guilt and shame that comes upon us because of that i remember just an example from my my own life um a, a condemnation and shame that just was on me and i didn't even know it for years and years and years and it's this this thing of i i just felt like there was there was important times key times in my life where I had opportunities to be able to pray for someone who really desperately needed it and, and I never took the step. I never did it. Whereas there's tons of other times where it wasn't such a desperate situation and I have done it. And just those moments, so this guilt and condemnation came on me because I'm like, when it really matters, I don't pray. It's just when it's convenient for me. And I felt such condemnation for years I've had that. And so what I found is... I came to realize that God showed me this grace and I came to realize that God heals even though I fail to pray. Even though I didn't step up, even though I'm not this great and awesome kind of person, God is still gracious. He's still got favor. He still loves that person. He wants to heal no matter what, even if I fail. And so out of this place of just this dead carcass of condemnation and guilt and shame actually came something sweet, came this grace, came this honey that was so refreshing, that was so awesome to me to realize that God is good, he is loving no matter what. It's an awesome thing. So next time the lion comes prowling around at your door, and he will, Know that God has anointed you with power and strength to rip the line apart. To turn the devour inside out and make that place of condemnation a habitat of his glory and grace that tastes so sweet. Remember that that debt has been fully paid and you are free. That God made an oath by his word. He vowed to never ever be angry with you again. Never to rebuke you or treat you based on your sins. He made that covenant paid for in blood, eternally sealed with his Holy Spirit, and it is a guarantee of what is to come, a a covenant that can never be broken and that will stand for all eternity. There is no more debt, there is no more condemnation for those in Christ. Amen? Good stuff. Early. Hello. So I'm just going to pray, and then I think we can be done. So we thank you, Jesus, again, for what you've done for us. That you 
didn't come to condemn the world, but you came to give it life, and life to the full. For the joy set before you, you chose to just surrender your life completely and make the ultimate sacrifice on our behalf, paying what we owed you. You paid with your life so that we would never have to give ours. What a wonderful thing. I just pray, Father, for each and every one of us, Father, that there would be no condemnation, that any guilt, any shame, any condemnation that's li- that is lingering on us, even if we've done horrible things, I just pray right now that that condemnation will be wiped away, that we will be cleansed of that guilty conscience because that's what Jesus did. He paid for it in full. It's not that we deserve to be free. It's because Jesus deserves us to be free. We thank you, Jesus, right now for your brilliance, that you are the King of kings, you are the Lord of lords, and that there is no more wrath, but now there is just absolute divine favor, there is absolute divine mercy and your love and your goodness that it just pours out on us. And I just thank you and declare that over every single one of us, that we would walk in your divine favor, that we would walk in those mercies every single day, that when the devourer comes along, we can stand there and go, nah, there is no more condemnation. I walk now free and in favor, free and in absolute favor of the divine God, the one who has completely paid for my debt. So I just thank you, Father, for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well done, Luke. That's good. Um, I just want to say one thing. In, in the book of Revelation, um, in chapter 1, John see, he hears a voice, just this loud, thunderous voice. And he turns around to see who is speaking and he just sees the majesty of Jesus. He sees his, his hair is like, and face is like white like wool, his eyes are like blazing fire. And he just falls down at the feet of Jesus. Um, and Jesus just comes and says, don't be afraid, and just lifts him back up. In chapter 5, you see a similar thing where um, John again hears this thunderous voice. And if you read on, it says, it says as you turn, he saw the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the roaring lion. What does the lion roar at? Have you ever wondered that? The rage of the king. Luke read it out. The rage of the king is like a roar of a lion. What did the lion roar at? It's a good question. Now he roars in victory, but what was the victory over? Over sin. So the lion of the tribe of Judah roared at sin. So in that Proverbs verse, one, one translation uses the word rage. The one that Luke read out of uses the word wrath. The wrath of the lion of Judah roared against sin. And it dealt with it once and for all. In that same chapter in Revelation 5, John hears that voice, hears that thunderous voice again and he turns around and what does he see he's just he's seen the lion 
But he turns around because he hears it again. What does he see this time? The lamb that was slain. He sees a lion that roared against sin. And then he sees the lamb that was slain for the sins of the whole world. It's amazing if you read on in Revelation and see, and I think it's also in Isaiah, that the lion and the lamb lay down together. They were created to cohabit in peace. And every time the devil tries to come as that pseudo false lion to roar against you, there's a king, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who roars to condemn sin because the lamb paid for it. Amen? Like that's so good. That's so good. Every time the devil comes at you, as Luke said, remember there's a roaring lion that has already condemned sin, condemned it completely so that you can stand without condemnation because of the blood. Amen? Wonderful, Luke. Good job.